Hey all, Oscar here. Just a very quick reminder that as we enter our ninth year of We Like Movies, it really does us a solid if you give us a rating, a review, a subscribe on iTunes, check us out on Stitcher, we're even on Spotify now. So we appreciate your continued support. Just help us spread the word. Happy 2019. What are we waiting for? Action! Let me have your attention for a moment. Let's talk about something important. Now we're talking business. Let's talk business. Yeah, let's talk business. Oh, yeah. Guys like to tell jokes and giggle and kid around, huh? I'm talking about form. I'm talking about content. I'm talking about interrelationships. I'm talking about God, the devil, hell, heaven. It's too cerebral. We're trying to make a movie and not a film. We have a new category this year. Best film ever made by a human being. You should have got Oscar. Who are you working for? The Knutsons. Who? Are the Knutsons? These are big movies think about big men in tights. Roll that motherfucking camera, Wolfie. Kiss my ass. Yeah! We like movies. This is business, and this man is taking it very, very personal. Hello, everybody. This is Oscar Dahl. I'm here with Matthew Knutson, and this is We Like Movies Top 100 AFI Countdown number 66. Raiders of the Lost Ark. I'll be honest up front here. I think this movie should be way higher on the list. <laughs> yeah, it, it it actually fell six spots from the original list. It insanity. was number 60. Yeah. Insanity. Total insanity. We both think this movie is one of the greatest films ever made. Both on record as saying it's probably Spielberg's best film, uh, or at least our favorite of his films. So let's figure out how we can drill down on this thing to figure out where this obsession comes from. Because it's not just about two white dudes who were born in the early 80s who saw this movie at such a formative age. Like, what is it that fascinates so many of us about this thing? Like, what's different about this movie? Why is it so groundbreaking? Why is it so enduring? And why is it still an example of, like, why is it still probably the best film he's ever made, considering that it is such a pulpy genre forward exercise you know like there's nothing prestigious about this movie right is that is that it is that that it, it because they approached it so casually yeah that they ended up fucking hitting it out of the park because the stakes were so low i think that's part of it that is it was not set up cynically it was not set up to be an oscar Beatty movie the whole purpose of this film and this franchise is to please the people watching it i don't want to think that my love for this movie is based on nostalgia or yeah. that I saw it in formative years. No, I just mean that like we both became obsessed with it immediately. Yeah. So what 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 is it about it that it's so easy to fall in love with so quickly? I don't think it's the fact that it created a template or just because something's the first to do something this well doesn't mean it's the best, right? I do think that even in a vacuum, taking away all context, this movie remains as perfect as we sort of think it is. So... You're asking why. Again, I always go back to this Roger Ebert quote. Like, it's not what something is. It's not what a movie is about. It's how it's about what it's about, right? Yep. Maybe it's as simple as there are just simply no missteps in this movie. Mm-hmm. And it hits the ground running. An incredible script by Lawrence Kasdan, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, One of my favorites. The, the, the story was banged out by Kasdan, Spielberg, and Lucas voice recording over what a weekend or a week right? yeah you can find it if you do a little google searching for you can find um, the notes you can find the notes yeah, yeah. so i don't think you can find the audio recording but yeah. you can find like 100 
20 pages worth of notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think they just basically sat in this hotel room for like three days or, you know, conference room or something and basically just said, I've always wanted to see this in a movie. I've always wanted to see this in a movie. This yeah. would be a cool set piece. I actually was reading that a lot of the set pieces and details, uh, abstract ideas for, for this movie were sort of like ripped off from Spielberg, Lucas, and Caston's obsession with Scrooge McDuck <laughs> comics. Sure. Which is kind of funny because that's also where basically the inception, the, the idea for inception <laughs> comes from too, right? Like, if you really want to rip off a great, you know, storytelling artifice, consider looking at those old Scrooge McDuck cartoons. They were pretty damn uh, ahead of their time. <laughs> so yeah, these guys are drawing everything from comics and they're drawing from Saturday morning serials and just from things that they've always wanted to see in a movie. Like, this would be exciting. We've never seen this before. Let's try this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, half of them made it into the script. Half of them got pushed to Temple of Doom, right? Because yeah. they just couldn't fit all this in one script. Well, let me ask you this as more of a film historian than I am. Like, what the pre-Raiders of the Lost Ark, how many movies and what movies tried to do what Raiders of the Lost Ark ends up doing? In terms of just being a sustained cliffhanger for, like, all the, all the boring that. stuff just, cut just out? Just, like, an action-packed, pulpy, adventure, globetrotting movie like this. Given what we've seen since Raiders of the Lost Ark, it, it shouldn't have been the first one. It shouldn't have been... It seems obvious, because I guess it's is my a, point. Because it's actually relatively recent, considering it's in the early 80s. Yeah. I like guess within the last 30 years, yeah. um, 35 years. Again, I don't I don't want to say like the novelty of it is the reason we, we like it so much, but maybe they just tapped into something that hadn't been tapped into before and then just blew it out to crazy proportions because they had the, the assets to do it, right? Yeah, I think it's at the risk of constantly invoking James Bond, that's where this came from right this came from steven spielberg really wanting to make a james bond movie wanting to tackle something that had that sort of propulsive forward moving trajectory mm-hmm. where like again you're just like cutting all of the boring parts out and just focusing on the yeah. set pieces or whatever and it's lucas saying why don't we combine these period elements and all the stuff we love from these cliffhanger saturday mm-hmm. morning serials charlton heston movies you know like charlton heston movies set in uh, you know like the naked jungle or whatever sure Guys in fedoras traipsing around through the South American jungles. Like, why don't we take all these things that we find really exciting and kind of put them in this Bondian context or vehicular template? Because when you really look at the opening of Raiders of the Lost Ark, which I consider to be the single greatest prologue in the history of filmmaking, in the history of cinema, it's a James Bond cold open. Yeah. It's 100% what it is. It's a great, it's a perfect character introduction. You know, you see the whip before you see the guy's face. Mm -hmm. And then you got this perfect mini movie, this. 10-minute short film that sets everything up, and yet they never really revisit anything specific about I mean, of course, Belloc comes back, comes back yeah. and his relationship with Belloc is, you know, obviously something that, that returns. But for all intents and purposes, that idol and that location mm-hmm. and Alfred Molina's character, none of that stuff matters in the grand scheme of things, right? Yeah. It's all about, you know, setting tone. Setting tone. Introducing stuff. Comparing it to James Bond is interesting. James Bond movies, especially the early ones, though, tend to drag a little bit. Okay. Right? I mean... I love James Bond. I love the series. I'm not like not like you though. But this movie feels twice as propulsive as, as any James Bond yes. movie that had come before it. You can get away with that only if you're economical and smart about your characterizations. Like you're able to understand Indiana Jones, even though he's sort of a multifaceted guy right away. Right. Yep. yep. Um, you get his relationships to the other characters. You have not a damsel in distress, but really a fucking badass female protagonist yeah. in this as well. A lot of the setup expositional scenes that might drag or some of the procedural shit that you have to deal with to you know, have any plot of any kind are introduced 
so quickly and economically and build into these set pieces at a rate where you're never waiting for the next thing. Even this, even the quieter moments in this movie are still captivating in their own way, right? Mm-hmm. The Tibet sequence is just fantastic. It's such a, it's a really cool setting. Yeah. Just anything from the set design of that bar is just <laughs> like super duper cool. Pinpointing exactly what makes uh, what makes this work, like how the sausage is made, yeah. it's, it's kind of difficult because you look it's at everything, and you're like, it just it just seems obvious now that we're so familiar with it. Yeah. Um, but how how did they get there? How did they figure it out? How did they crack that code? I don't know because no one has since. You know, it's no one's made a better version of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Right? <laughs> no, definitely, certainly not. Nobody ever will, yeah. uh, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's just alchemy. Maybe it's just magic. You know, maybe occasionally just the, all the pieces come together to create something that's just beautiful and perfect in its own way and is the best example of the very specific thing it's trying to do. The people involved in this movie, right? Yeah. You have Harrison Ford at his peak, basically, right? Yeah, but it's it's like an inadvertent peak, right? Yeah. Like it's a it's it's like falling ass backwards into a peak. Sure. Which is perfect for this character, right? Yeah. Because you got this guy who never intended to be an actor who just sort of was a friend of Lucas and just like helping him out with doing table reads and stuff and, yeah. and you know like reading you know helping him audition and ends up as Han Solo and it's yeah. like inadvertent well and, and if uh, Tom Selleck wasn't contractually yeah. obligated to Magnum P.I. or whatever we, yeah. would, we wouldn't have this so you got these serendipitous things happening. you know Spielberg's coming off of a failure mm-hmm. if it hadn't been for the failure of 1941 yeah. he might have been off to something maybe he might have made Color Purple right then yeah right? so Spielberg so you have Harrison Ford falling ass backwards but he's at his peak you know he's got he's, got he's at his most handsome yeah, he's, he's at it. Yeah, he's got it all. Spielberg <laughs> is as uh, he's back mo- on his heels, motivated as ever to yeah. create something. Well, he also has this subject matter that he really wants to tap into. Right? Mm-hmm. You have George Lucas at perhaps his most creative yep. and feeling best, living on high. Yeah, and you have a young Lawrence Kasdan who part of writing is is confidence, right? Yeah, and dude's coming off fucking Empire Strikes Back. Yes, right. So and he's about to go on this crazy run with uh, you know he's about to go into directing and Big Chill yeah. and then Body Heat and stuff. So. I guess you could make the argument that these guys were all at their peak. I mean, we we consider this probably Spielberg, at least our favorite Spielberg movie. Yeah. I know we wa- I, I waffle on Schindler's List better, yeah. whatever. Spielberg is probably at the height of his creative powers because he, he just got activated by this movie for whatever reason, yeah. right? Like you said, Lawrence Kasten is just, for some reason, he just taps right into this subject matter. Harrison Ford is at the perfect age. He's at his most handsome. And he's, he's at his most charismatic. He's fearless. Yeah. And this is one of his, just like from a... From a performance standpoint, which is one of his most impressive, believable yeah. performances, right? Well, so you can make the argument that you got all these guys at their apex, potentially. Yeah, and you know, if you look at the the career of a, of a writer, right? And you know, maybe we should look at Kasdan's script, think of it as a as a novel or just a piece of writing and a, a piece of artistic achievement. Like it's his what third or fourth screenplay, something like that. Yeah, at least credited, sure. Yeah, yeah. And this is probably like the best he had to give like in his entire career like he's at the precipice he's ready at his creative peak he's tapping into this world that no one's really done so he's got the 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 full canvas to work with Mm -hmm. and you know the script is an absolute knockdown masterpiece right and that's not something you usually get with this type of movie right you you never get it with this type of movie yeah, most of these are blueprints more than anything yeah. else, right? Whereas this is this thing is just filled with humor and incredibly memorable lines. 
many of which are actually improvised. You know, yeah. like it's not the years, honey, it's the mileage. Yeah. We can't give cast. I'm sure Caston would love to take credit for that, <laughs> yeah. but apparently that's Harrison Ford's thing. Yeah. But even but even the story itself, right? Like it, it's supernatural in nature, it's biblical in nature, but it just it doesn't lean on it. Yeah. It keeps everything on the ground. It keeps it tangible um, until the you know horrifying ending. Well, it do, it also doesn't drop you into it too early, right? Like. Yeah. The, the opening temple is very, very grand. There's nothing supernatural about it. It's yeah. all booby traps and stuff, yeah. right? And then you get to Marshall College, and you have these guys introducing the spiritual element, right? They're yeah. talking about what the Ark is capable of, but they just show you a picture of it, right? And no these, one, and no these one's guys saying, like, it could bring down that power of God Yeah, I mean, but they do mention that, like, the Hebrews believed yes. in the power of the Ark or whatever, yeah. and here's a picture. This is what it could look like. Yeah. You know, and but then you get to Harris, you, Harris, where you get to Indiana Jones's house, and he's like, I don't believe in a lot of superstitious mumbo jumbo, yeah. right? Like, you, you, say, you know, um, I'm going after a find of incredible historical significance. You're talking about the boogeyman, right? So you introduce a healthy amount of skepticism, right, mm-hmm. into the audience, and then you don't really start to feel the supernatural implications of it until we've all kind of like descended into the quote unquote temple together, right? Yeah. And then at the end, you finally unleash it, but you've you've laid the track now for the us, only supernatural. Buy until, it. Yeah, only supernatural thing until the end is it's not even supernatural, it's just more lightning than you would expect, right? Sure. And that you could assume as well, an audience member that's like an affectation or something. But. Right. I, the, when when it's when the arc is in the box on the ship and there's the close up oh, of it and you see the and you yeah. and you and it it, um, it burns out the uh, swastika, yes, right? Yeah. So you start, but all this stuff is just very elegantly kind of peppered in. You just start to add a suggestion of it until fucking literally all hell breaks loose at the very end, which shouldn't really work as well as it does, right? Like, no. why is the climax of this movie so effective? It's really out there. It's, like it's crazy ambitious and it's very dark and it's very scary yeah why does it work so well well, why do we buy it why does it work so well that our hero indiana jones that we love fails over and over and over and over again in this movie right like he doesn't he doesn't really win he he thinks he's uh he's killed his girlfriend yeah he 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 gets away but then he doesn't get away a number of times right yeah. so he has an opportunity to destroy the ark and he decides not to yeah. he basically gives you know gives himself over and then in the end he loses but then god yeah, they take the ark them down they, right? and then they take the ark away from him yeah. and they put it in a in a yeah that's really interesting. I mean, does it speak to sort of the vulnerability of a character like this that we like that we, we identify with the fact that he's always kind of like a little bit behind the eight ball throughout yeah. this whole thing? I think so and I think that just keeps the stakes up always like there's no moment of triumph and even if there was a moment of triumph he's he's not the kind of guy to to bask in this or or, or celebrate it really right yeah he you know he he's not like a, he's not an anti-hero but he's a troubled protagonist i guess he's human right like that one of the things i think one of the reasons that i feel that we all identify with indiana jones and adore indiana jones so much compared to somebody like james bond mm-hmm. who's basically invincible yeah is that uh, he bleeds he and he bleeds. hurts and he aches and he <laughs> falls in his face and he falls out, you know, and he gets yeah. thrown out of trucks or whatever. And Ford plays him very flawed. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a brilliant scientist and teacher. He's obviously he's very very knowledgeable and he's very ambitious in terms of like willing to you know sacrifice his body or go after these yeah. these uh, artifacts. He gets a lot of bloody noses over the course of this series, and right? he's not impressed with his own Indiana Jonesness. You know, okay. like even at the beginning when he's teaching his class, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, the coeds will be fawning over him because he looks like fucking Harrison Ford at the peak of his powers. But right. he sees the you know girl 
bats her eyes and it's got the love you on it, right? Mm-hmm. And he, he's taken aback by that, right? <laughs> yes. He's not expecting that. He gets rattled. Where like some characters would be like, oh yeah, you know? James but, Bond would already expect every woman yes. in the class to want him. Exactly. Yeah. The subtle nuance of the character and the way Harrison Ford plays. I mean, it's almost like, okay, we have Harrison Ford for this. Let's write this role exactly for him. I know that's not the way it was done, but it, it kind of feels that way because no one has more perfectly encapsulated a character, a character. this movie star Harrison Ford. The greatest characterization in the history. I mean, you identify Harrison Ford much more than Indiana Jones and Han Solo, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and more so than Jack Ryan, of course, or <laughs> yeah. Rick Deckard. I mean, this is this is the iconic character of his career. The fact that he has both Han Solo and Indiana Jones in the same career. Indiana Jones would be more than enough for anybody, right? Yeah. If you do, if you get that once in a career, yeah. you're good to go. He's got it at least twice. I don't know if he's the greatest actor of his generation or even my favorite actor, but he's certainly my favorite movie star of all time mm-hmm. because there is something so elusive about his approach. Yeah. And the fact that he never expected to be there and maybe doesn't really want to be there yeah. has a lot to do with it. Whereas you feel, you really feel Tom Cruise, and I love Tom Cruise, you feel like Tom Cruise really wants it and always really wanted it he and always really wanted your it, approval. Yeah, and he knows, well, this like he feels like he knows he's earned it or something, right? He's, and he has. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't disagree with that. I mean, even from the beginning, even the Top Gun days, like he's trying really, really hard to get yeah. your attention. And that's cool. And he does. And he's really fun to watch. But there's something about Harrison Ford's He's so charismatic Despite himself, right? Yes. Like he doesn't he doesn't want it, but he just he has this power within him. And can't. the fact that he's basically turned his back on it at this point, even though it's frustrating for those of us who yeah. want to see him on screen, mm-hmm. is completely in line with mm-hmm. his, the way his approach has always been, right? Yeah. That that's a once in a generation God. screen presence. This podcast is such a slobber fest right now. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I mean, if somebody put a put a gun to my head right now. Mm-hmm and ask me what my favorite movie was, it's probably Raiders of the Lost Ark. If I'm feeling a little more pretentious and more highfalutin, maybe I go to Fellini's Eight and a Half or yeah. The Third Man and, you know, again, favorite, best, whatever. What's the film you've seen the most times in your life? Raiders of the Lost Ark, 100%. Yeah. And if I could only watch one movie again for the rest of my life, if, if we if we did the whole um, Desert Island challenge, yeah. then yeah, it's got to be this. Again, I think it has to be some sort of alchemy. It's it's hard to explain why it works so well because so many movies have tried to do this template, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and and every movie has failed in in doing so. And yeah, again, I think it's just a, a marriage of Spielberg being at his apex, not being able to rely on CGI. I think that yeah. might be an underrated part of it, that everything it, had to be earthbound. Right? Yeah, it really brought out the best in those guys in mm-hmm. the 70s and 80s. You know, like they were basically inventing this stuff and not even all that confident that it was always going to work. Yeah. You know, like basically, you know, throwing track down in front of a moving train a lot yeah. of the times, right? Like yeah. you hear them talk about uh, Lucas screening the first Star Wars for his friends De Palma and Spielberg and Francois Coppola or whatever and, and basically they're like this is like a this is a children's film you know yeah. and it's mostly there's so much blue screen there and there's things that haven't been you know they haven't invented the technology yet to be able to prove that they can have an X-wing fly through the screen <laughs> or whatever and so they're inventing this you know hours before they actually have to put it on screen I think that invigorates these guys you know in ways that late period Spielberg or Lucas just can't quite capture that same mm-hmm. magic I'm not saying it's necessarily a young man's game, but when you look at the history of great cinema, do most of the masterpieces come from filmmakers who are in their 30s or 40s? Uh, I mean, Orson Welles is 25 or whatever, right? Yeah. It seems, I mean, for a movie like this, it does feel like you need a certain amount of energy to make it work, right? Yes. You need to be young enough to have energy. You need to be 
old enough to be able to marshal some resources. Yeah, right? and have the know what you don't know and know what you've done wrong in the past or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, so you find all these guys at just at the perfect time, the perfect age, the perfect place, the perfect... I mean, they got the right amount of hunger. Mm-hmm. They are willing to take risks and be dangerous, but they're also trained. You know, yeah. I mean, Lucas is obviously coming from professional training in USC and stuff yeah. like that. Spielberg has already spent, you know, well over a decade in television and then has already been through Jaws and stuff. And he's 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 tasted failure. I keep yeah. coming back to this point. Like, the fact that it's post-1941 is so important. Yeah. You know? He's willing to redefine himself in this way. And he's going to do it again. Well, he's going to make E.T. next. (laughs) That's going to fucking, you know, take him to the moon. And then he's going to redefine himself again with Color Purple and um, Vampire of the Sun. The idea that he peaked here, I mean, he still has Schindler's List to make and Savior Private Ryan and stuff, but this to me is, is defining Spielberg. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. You know, like these are the, these are really the the tenets being established. Mm-hmm. Tenets. What's the best scene in the movie? The best scene in the movie? Yeah. I mean, I go back to the just the whole sequence escaping the the desert camp, right? So yeah. you got the the plane, the plane into the in the truck chase. Into the truck chase. Yeah. If you go with that, then I'll go with the the prologue. Okay. With Deal. the opening temple. I was listening to an interview with Alfred Molina on Kevin Pollack's podcast recently. <laughs> of course you are. And, <laughs> and he's, you know, he's a delight. He's an absolute, yeah. I mean, he's a gentleman and he's he's just such a, he's just got that incredible accent and he has wonderful stories to tell about it. He really credits Steven Spielberg with basically giving him a career. Yeah. I mean, just that one little scene, despite the fact he's an Englishman playing an Argentinian, you know, yeah. Peruvian, whatever he is, yeah. which, is, which feels kind of silly in retrospect. But one of the great things about Alfred Molina is his ability to play, he and John Reese, uh, Jonathan... Rice Davis. John, John Reese davies yeah. both have been able to play many different ethnicities yeah. over the course of their career. <laughs> I mean, something about the glee, you know, the joy of the fetishization of the booby traps oh, yeah. and the boulder and the, you know, the spikes and the spiders and the vines and, you know, throw me the whip. Like, all that stuff is just, there's just such a ec- ecstatic joy to all of that, right? And again, like, it's it's... It's like I said, it's, it's earthbound. It, it's based on yeah. real geography. Like you, even the the boot traps are silly, but like it, it feels real, right? Yeah. No matter what happens, um, even when a Nazi's face melts into nothing, into wax, we've built to that point. Yeah. And and plus, it's still we're still watching wax melt, right? Yeah. <laughs> As opposed to watching ones and zeros. You know, when you when you see uh, Kate Blanchett's eyeballs explode into flames or whatever at yeah. the end. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of would have preferred a Kate Blanchett puppet who you set on fire. <laughs> you set those eyeballs on fire. <laughs> then at least I got something tangible. Like at least I can mm-hmm. hang my hat on something. At least I can I could somewhat identify and not have to cross the uncanny valley. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some silly stuff in here. There's some stuff that looks dated. Some of those exploding heads are a little silly. Sure. Um, and there's you know there's some miniatures. There you know Nazis driving their trucks off of yeah. you know like falling into the abyss. The Wilhelm scream is pretty silly. Yeah. <laughs> But at the end of the day, just the physicality of it all, the matte paintings of it all, the miniatures of it all. Yeah, all that stuff, the, the earthboundness of it, as opposed to the flying saucers of yeah. of um, King of the Crystal Skull. This is obviously the best of the series, mm-hmm. but in terms of like where the series would, would go from here, not, you know, Temple of Doom and Last Crusade are not on this AFI list, no. of course. Mm-hmm. Raiders of the Lost Ark is a 10, and Temple of Doom is a 6. And then Last Crusade is a three I, in your look, estimation. We I both love, we both love Temple of Doom. I love Temple of Doom. Temple of Doom is an eight. Last Crusade's a six. Let's go. Let's go with that. And then we're uh, doing pitchfork ratings, right? <laughs> and then um, 
Crystal Skull is, you know, a, a three or a four, right? Yeah. Have you ever, have you like introduced this film to young friends or siblings? Like, have you talked to anyone who's been born in the last 20 years who like, technically this movie came out, you know, a year before I was born, two yeah. years before you were born. So this, this film technically exists outside of our lifetime, but I've never known, I don't have memories before Raiders of the Lost Ark, no, right? It's neither, always been a part of my life. Yeah, neither do I. And I, no, I've never introduced this movie to anybody. Because I'd be interested to hear. I, I, if, I would. I would love to watch this movie with someone who had never seen it before. That'd be interesting. Yeah, exactly. Um, See it, but in no. Every, everyone I've dated or known or shown movies to have been intimately familiar with this movie, right? Yeah, it, there's a ubiquity to it. I mean, it's got to be amongst. It's got to be like one of the ten most just universally beloved, popular mainstream films of all time. Right? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's you rarely have this this segue of one of the greatest movies of all time and one of the most populous movies of all time, right? Yeah, which in its own way it, in its own way is actually the greatest yeah. achievement of all. Yeah. <laughs> and it, that's something few filmmakers have been able to to um, nail on this yeah. level. And, and and there's no guilt about that the fact that it's populist diminishing it at all. Like I Yeah, still nominated for best picture. Yeah, there, there's nothing no one will be like, "Oh, you just you're one of the sheep who likes Raiders of the Lost Ark." Like no one says that. It's true. People get Sometimes people are given a hard time for being too into Star Wars. You yeah. know, sometimes like, oh, you're such a Star Wars nut. Or, oh, at the end of the day, it's just, you know, it's just spaceships and aliens, yeah. right? This movie has managed to maintain a certain level of respect yeah. and even prestige. No one rolls their eyes at Raiders Exactly, of the exactly right. I mean, technically, Star Wars is higher on this AFI list, which I tend to kind of disagree with personally. Well, we think this movie should be like number one, so we're going to well, disagree with anything. Being I above certainly it, would I put it in the top ten. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I think it is, it's 66, which is criminally low but at the same time I'm not, I'm not surprised given the genre again there's nothing prestige about this I mean no. it's a miracle that it's on the list at all even though we consider it to be one of the greatest films of all time like I, it gives me hope that at least yeah. it, you know it lands on a list like this well I mean it does seem bizarre that Star Wars is what in the top 10 of this list and uh, not the, top 10 I think it's like 19 or okay. something like that well, I, I guess it's cultural impact is of greater import sure. than, than Raiders of the Lost Ark but even so, I mean, there are some non-prestige movies. Uh, maybe not that many, I guess, above, above this on the list. We'll get into it. In but. terms of like more genre exercises yeah. or more escapist fare, yeah. for example. 115 minutes long, so nice and tight. Pretty tight for Spielberg. Yep. He brings it in under two hours. That's a big deal. Um, it was released on June 12th, 1981. $18 million budget. Very reasonable. Uh, worldwide box office, $390 million. Nine Oscar nominations. Five wins. Three hundred ninety million with inflation is probably close to a billion. I would. Nah, I don't know how math works. I guess. Probably put it in the eight hundred million yeah. range. Included into the National Film Registry in nineteen ninety nine, exactly twenty years ago. Interesting. When Spielberg sits down to be interviewed about his oeuvre, yeah, this is just you know he obviously had a very hard time making Jaws, had a very hard time making um, Schindler's List, but this is just a movie that he's just his eyes just light up when he's interviewed about this yeah. like tough sure Harrison Ford getting dysentery you know whatever yeah. hot sandy but it seems like this is really him in a place in his life and just embracing filmmaking in a way where there was so much the stakes on Jaws and Close Encounters are so high yeah. and he was clearly so sort of like out of his depth on 1941 yeah. this is him just like honing right in yeah. on the filmmaker he was always meant to be mm-hmm. and having a great time and knowing exactly what he's doing and also forging this really interesting working relationship with a guy who would go on to become the biggest movie star of his generation, mm-hmm. but at the time they never worked together before. Yeah, I mean they have, they are. I guess it's, I guess it's become Hanks now. Yeah, for a while Harrison Ford, 
was to Spielberg as De Niro is to Scorsese sure. or whatever, right? Maybe maybe Hanks has now superseded that in terms of how many movies they made together. Mm -hmm. But apparently they're still very close friends. So I have a hard time imagining Steven Spielberg going out to Jackson Hole and smoking a joint with Harrison Ford <laughs> nowadays. But it is telling that Harrison Ford is still so passionate about this character. Yeah. Are you excited about the inevitable Indiana Jones 5? And is it because you want to see them make up for King of the Crystal Skull? Or you legitimately think there's more story, there's more meat on this bone? Well, I think just the, the pulpy nature... There's always going to be more meat on this bone. That you can find stories to tell with the, with this character. Again, the the age thing is going to hold it back. It held back Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. He's clearly not as athletic. And if they're not going to go the mutt route and have some sort of younger yeah. dude with them, it's going to be hard. But everyone is going to be very focused on making up for Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. They're like, on their best behavior. They've, they've been transparent about it. They want to you know, go off into the sunset with the bang. I mean, they fucked up by even making a fourth one, really. They wrote right off into the sunset at the end of the Last Crusade, and they could have ended it there. God, it was so perfect. It was so elegant. I hold the prequels against Star Wars, and I honestly hold Jurassic World against Jurassic Park. For some reason, no matter how bad Indiana Jones 5 is, and how bad... But is potentially might be, and how bad King of the Crystal Skull is. For some reason, it does not affect. Raiders of the Lost Ark is just bulletproof. Yeah. There's nothing. There's nothing that could affect it to me. Harrison Ford could literally hold a copy of Raiders of the Lost Ark in the next Indiana yeah. Jones movie and set it on fire, and it still wouldn't. It wouldn't change the way I feel about this film. Yeah. Nothing could I mean, change. I have no idea what the story is going to be. It's. It's not very heartening that David Kep seems to still be involved somehow which I can't believe they're they're going back to him after after Crystal Skull but I don't know I mean it, it'll it'll certainly be interesting I don't know where they're going to film it um, I'm not sure their story instincts for for Indiana Jones are good anymore just reading about the rejected drafts of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull seemed even more batshit than what actually ended up on screen which is Fair. incredible we'll see i mean it'll, it'll be a testament to spielberg's longevity if you can pull something out of the hat here but uh you know i'm i'm optimistic that they have the the right motivation this time mm -hmm. but uh, i'm not optimistic that they'll be able to pull it off their heart's in the right place i suppose yeah there's an inevitability to all this stuff that you have we have to be realistic about but the legacy of this character is fine is solid for me yeah. is intact and always will be the biggest compliment i could honestly give this movie is that every time i move into a new apartment the very first thing i do is i plug when i'm unpacking boxes the very first thing i do is i plug in the tv and put raiders of the lost ark on and for me it's almost a way of like you know this is my home now. anointing yeah. yeah just you know spreading holy water fong sure. shui or whatever <laughs> like it's my way of yeah of, of establishing my place in this new home it's it's literally the very first thing i do i can't remember, i've never moved into a new apartment where i didn't unpack boxes while raiders of the lost ark was playing so it never gets old for me which i guess is a testament to the enduring wonderfulness of this film until next time this has been afi top 100 countdown raiders of the lost ark number 66 coming up next is the african queen the african queen yeah i think that's right that's exciting that'll be fun i haven't revisited i haven't seen that in decades i'm really looking I forward seen to that watching since college, yeah all right say goodbye matt goodbye